0: Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the
1: opinions of the host.
2: I did not have a a concept of self and identity outside of Mormonism, like that was the only thing that really mattered.
1: Even the way I would speak or present myself or hold my body, you know, I definitely tried to become like more feminine. Became sexist (laughs) towards (laughs) myself and generally. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness,
0: and this is Oscar, <laughs> where we discuss leaving high-demand religions and organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you are listening only and you would prefer to see my face and Oscar's face here, head on over to YouTube at Cults to Consciousness. It would mean the world if you could like and subscribe and leave a comment. I'm here with two amazing ex Mormon content creators. They have a very successful YouTube channel if you are ex Mormon or in the Mormon space, I'm sure you know who they are. We did a video previously about missions, conversion, and how high demand religions use different tactics to convert people into their church and how it's effective or if it's not very effective. And in this video, we're going to be talking about how high demand religions kind of dissolve your identity, make you fit into a box, and what that's like when you finally break out of that box. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me, Zelp on the Shelf, Sam and Tanner.
1: Hey, Hi. it's good to be here.
0: Thank you. I'd like to talk about identity within the church because I'm curious to see, Sam, how you shaped and molded into a Mormon girl versus who you were before and how you were able to bloom after you realized that it wasn't true.
1: Yeah, I do think, um, kind of sad, but my identity before Mormonism was very wrapped up in being smart, you know, get being like the top of my class. And um, I had just read a lot as a kid, as a coping mechanism and just being an only child, there wasn't really anything else to do. Um, so I did always kind of naturally do well in school and that that took that on as like, this, this is my thing, you know, I'm not like, I'm not pretty and I'm not lovable, but I am smart and I can like, you know, get the best grades or whatever. So really prioritized intelligence. And then once I became Mormon, and then especially when I went to BYU-Idaho, sort of just shed that because I I don't think it's encouraged for women to be intellectual. And so it wasn't like, I didn't care about, you know, I I got good grades at school and stuff, but it, Mormonism became the focus and also being, um, desirable as a, to men, (laughs) you know, like finding love in like a, in a romantic partnership, marriage, Mormon marriage, I guess, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: became the new thing. So it's, yeah, there's definitely a shift. Um, and they were di- it's very disturbing for me to look back on and and see ways that I adopted um, sexism that I hadn't even been raised with because like typically you don't really see that where you like grow up in a less sexist environment and then become more. It's usually the other way around, you know. But it was, you know, you hear these these things about gender and women, and I I really took Mormonism to heart. And if a bishop stood up and said something, for the most part, I'd probably believe it, you know. So. There were ways like even the way I would maybe speak or present myself or hold my body. You know, I definitely tried to become like more feminine because mm. I think I I felt that these Mormon girls were all very feminine. And I've always yeah. like, I don't know, I suppose I've never really like thought about that too much. And growing up in England, it wasn't, you know, you could, you could really be anything within your gender. And it wasn't, I mean, you could still get teased but I don't know it just was more definitely more gender fluid growing up in England like you didn't have to be in these like rigid boxes of what a boy was and what a girl was um so that was interesting like adopting just taking on sexism willingly I mean I suppose not willingly because it's you being led down a path but yeah yeah became sexist (laughs) (laughs) towards myself and generally That's so
0: interesting. I have noticed when people convert or they weren't really into Mormonism, then all of a sudden they become super Mormon. There is this level of judgment that comes with that, where all of a sudden they – put on this, I'm a little bit better than you vibe. And maybe they don't mean mm-hmm. to, it's just I have the truth and you don't and I know better and you don't and you need to follow this way because it's what God wants and you don't really know because you're led by Satan. Did you feel any of that kind of happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, Mormonism is like fundamentally a a religion with a superiority complex, right? It's, it's the one true church, everyone else is a portion of the truth, we have the whole truth you got to be in it to be saved you know it's really hard to escape grandiosity when that's the ideology you subscribe to so Mm. i don't know i don't i don't know how judgy i was in the couple years i was in england as a mormon i mean probably started to be judgmental of things also it kind of paired well with like various judgments i'd already had like growing up the my parents relationship with alcohol was like a source of a lot of distress for me um so that was something I already kind of was primed to judge people for in a way, not too much. I mean, not to the level that maybe someone born in Mormonism might judge alcohol, but yeah, I don't know. Definitely at BYU-Idaho, I was very judgy and very um like would leave my roommate a note if she was late for curfew telling her that God would bless her if she kept curfew. No, you didn't That's did who not. I became. <laughs> so that was really cool and fun. <laughs> That, oh my god. I
2: think that it highlights the um when you know earlier when we were talking about the cultural problems when Mormons mm-hmm. get together en masse. My mission president used to say to me he he didn't want me to go to be a uh, church school. He'd say, uh, "Mormons <clears throat> are like manure. They have to be spread out to do good, otherwise they just stink." Mm. Oh and my god. When you have this like <laughs> When you have this uh, grandiosity and religious exceptionalism that makes you just assume that you're doing the right things and you're more righteous than other people, when you're, you know, like you or I who grew up where Mormons were the minority, you may be hesitant to outright say those things mm-hmm. To people in the world mm-hmm. yeah. Because then they'll think you're crazy <laughs> yeah. Now when you're all Mormons Living together then you're allowed to just Judge, judge wantonly because They know better, they know they should be living I'm up like, to this well, standard
1: we're at BYU-Idaho So we're all part of the same thing So I can absolutely leave you a note Because that is what you should be doing and you should yes. know that right, you know? Right. I would never leave a note to my friend in England Who's not Mormon being like You need to stop sleeping with your boyfriend that will be unhinged No one having
0: friends <laughs> so
1: that's the thing again if you're living in these areas that aren't mormon you know that you will not be able to maintain relationships with people if you lean into those impulses so judgment yep big big theme of mormonism i did a whole video essay on our channel about that about how mormons have a superiority complex Mm if anyone's interested in that topic
0: yeah we'll link it right here
2: It's, and the responses are all like, we don't have a complex. We just are superior. <laughs> it's
0: just that we're right and we don't know how to make you see that.
1: Are you serious? Do people really comment that?
2: Oh, I mean, in in essence, <clears throat> yes. That's the majority of our a critical. Of, um,
1: sorry that people offended you, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you obviously didn't study it enough. You obviously yeah. didn't like, really. Bitch, you don't
1: know how much we studied it, okay? <laughs> oh you would have us. If we were all still Mormon, you'd hate us for being too good at being Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> what were some other
0: cringy things that either of you did as far oh, as like, <laughs> 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 Tell me, tell me all the things. Oh, Where'd you fucking begin? I know one of yours.
2: <laughs> is <that>? is <laughs> your didn't you write like uh for your college application letter or something? You wrote like about your conversion experience or something? Not to be Oh my to, god, no.
1: Well for BYU'd who obviously, but no, um, Oh, you know, you just have these stories that make your skin crawl. When I got a job at this bookshop when I was still Mormon in high school, and I remember in the interview, he like asked what my proudest moment was or something, and I was talking about my conversion to Mormonism. But I think I just got lucky because he was like a really nice guy and kind of was like interested in it because, again, religion is just such a yeah. novelty in mm-hmm. England. Yeah. So I did get the job, but oh just was gosh. going on in this job interview. <laughs> Oh, my most cringy things are like the ways I did try to convert. Like I remember I had this um, job as sort of like a waitress, occasional bartender um, when I was home for the summer in England at BYU-Idaho. And there was just this bartender that was always really nice to me. And she gave me her email at the end of the summer. And I think I just used the email to like send her a message trying to convert her. I remember me and my friend Shaylee from BYU-Idaho were once... Um, on a plane. She was staying with me in England and we went to Italy and we were coming back from Italy to England. And we were hysterically laughing that whole flight because I don't know, young and hyper. And um, this woman was like, oh, you girls have such lovely energy. And at the end of the flight, she gave us like a business card. And then we sent her an email trying to convert her. (laughs) (laughs) Any attempt (laughs) trying to convert a normal person (laughs) is is my biggest cringe. What about you?
2: Same. I think... Especially early on, like as a child, was very. You used to sing
1: hymns going down the corridor at school, thinking (laughs) people might feel the spirit. Uh,
2: (laughs) Just dropping little seeds of faith everywhere I go. Who
1: looked (laughs) twelve until he was (laughs) twenty-two, coming down the hallways.
2: Uh, Yeah, definitely felt pressure as a young person to like be actively trying to convert uh, teachers, friends neighbors all that and I just I you know I invited like my teachers to my baptism and stuff and the older I got the less I was trying to do, just because I felt so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. every time and I and I felt guilty my and even on the mission I felt like I didn't want to do this I don't want to stop this person who I know doesn't want to talk to me and try to get them to do this thing that they don't want to do, but I have to. Mm-hmm. And
1: overriding your natural impulses, that's how they get you. Yep. The more you do it, the less of a question there is.
2: Yep. And so pretty much any, like any time of just like having a normal interaction with someone where they're like, oh, this nice person who is taking interest in me as a person, how nice. And then me switching it into, (laughs) you know, the reason you felt so good during this conversation. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's because I happen to be a part of the real, the true church. And it it is like one of the things in, in deconstruction, looking back and seeing how cringy and problematic Mormon culture can be is realizing that like, we had no way of having just normal w- relationships with people outside the church it was mm-hmm. always filtered through the lens of proselytization mm-hmm. and that is so culty like you should be able to have friends who don't share your beliefs mm-hmm. but that's just not prioritized because it's either you're converting them so that they can be friends with you in the church or mm-hmm. they're you know they're not living the standards they have a whole different thing we need to focus our attention on someone who will be more receptive mm-hmm. and it just makes me sad that uh, so many just natural relationships weren't allowed to blossom because they weren't interested in becoming members of the church.
0: Yeah, it creates a lot of inauth- inauthenticity.
2: Totally, totally. Yeah. And, you know, once I'm at BYU Idaho, like it does, <clears throat> you know, you're just surrounded by Mormons. So there's not so much that pressure, which I think was good. And then allows that judgmental faculty to be uh, pointed. Toward people of your same faith, which in a way was kind of good. It was good for me to be surrounded by Mormons for the first time ever and realize like, oh, not everybody takes this as seriously, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways is very problematic. And to see those those um the little problems magnified just by sheer number of people there participating and all that. So it was it was good perspective in that way.
0: Yeah. Did you guys ever hand out the I am Mormon business cards?
2: Didn't hand up the business card, but I did do a profile.
1: Oh, I just had another cringe. And I
2: don't know if it's ever been <laughs> taken down, so I am still a Mormon, though uh, Mormons aren't even Mormons anymore, so. Right,
1: right. <laughs> I just remember when I lived in Logan and I was uh, temple married, there was this um, family, I think they were from Mexico, at the side of the road somewhere asking for food or, you know, asking for donations. And so me and my ex-husband went to Walmart and bought them a bunch of food and then also put a copy of the Book of Mormon in there with like a little calling card and some kind of little note with our testimony. Couldn't just do the nice thing, had to do it with the, <laughs> with the spiritual brownie points of Mormonism. You gotta. Oh, but I so mean, kudos for
0: At
2: least you also get, yeah. giving
1: food. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You could have been like yeah. those asshole evangelicals who just like on the tip
2: at the restaurant are like, John 317, uh, that's the only tip you need. Or,
1: you know. Yeah, and I like <laughs> to imagine that that family is just like, lolo, lol, we got a bunch of free food out of these idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully it was fine. But cringe.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of dissolution of identity within high-demand religions. And that's something that I wanted to talk about is how they mold you into fitting this perfect mormon box and get you to do things that you don't want to do get you to be servants of the lord and how it benefits them to take away the fringes of your personality so any thoughts on that
2: i'd say for me it wasn't even like taking away just from birth being molded into that i i really i've said this before that I did not have a a concept of self and identity outside of Mormonism. Like that was the only thing that really mattered. And now there's so many aspects of myself that I really enjoy and delight in my hobbies, my interests, my talents, my personality. Um, But really I didn't care. I didn't care that I made art. I didn't care about music really only in as much as it could be used to further the kingdom of God. Um, I've always enjoyed laughter and humor but uh, for many years felt very guilty about that because in the temple you promised to avoid all loud laughter. Crazy. And so anytime I made people laugh too much, I felt guilty about it. Wow. And um, just everything, the way that I dressed, the music I listened to, everything was filtered through that lens. And I, I didn't, it wasn't like, oh, my Mormon self, and then the stuff I do outside of Mormonism, it was all in that, which is why leaving was so hard is because then suddenly you're left without any concept of self or identity, and that is just like a harrowing experience. But uh, also really fruitful. Moving past it and you know falling in love with those aspects of myself and uh, fully embracing them now has been you know the flip side of joy. So at least that. But yeah, they they definitely know how to mold you from a very young age. And if you're a convert, try uh, they work there. They do their work really quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Conformity, conformity, conformity. <clears throat> yeah.
0: Yeah. What do you think, Sam?
1: You know, yeah, as I said before, I mean, like I suppose intellectually Mormonism, like there was a lot of ways I regressed, you know? And I mean, even things like I was a, I've been a big reader my whole life. And for the five, six years I was in Mormonism, I just don't think i read anything that wasn't a Mormon book. I'm sure I did at some point, like a few things, right. but you know, that whole side of me was just kind of gone. And like, I was a, at 18 when I left high school, was like quite a strong writer. I mean, it's all relative, right? Like wasn't actually that good, but really loved writing and, and had had some success with it. But that then that just became something I didn't really pursue while Mormon except to write like Mormon shit. <laughs> like they, they do co-opt all your talents and then there's, it has like a stagnating effect a lot of the time because You really don't have to be that good of a writer to you know like start a mormon blog and peddle these bigoted ideas about why people should be you know being more obedient and so i suppose it was more yeah like a lot of stagnation um i don't know there there, there were ways i was able to maintain my personality too though almost like because i didn't grow up in mormonism and i was able to sort of like forge my own path and i didn't have any Anyone, I wasn't accountable to anyone but myself, really. And I suppose you have bishops and stuff, but I was never like looking to be, and you know, too far outside the margins of obedience. So, um yeah, I, th- I do think like because BYU Idaho was cre- quite a like creative environment in a weird way, like not
2: university. Yeah, yeah there's lots of there, things a, happening. There and, was
1: a way that womanism kind of did, and also being sober at university, I think, encourages like a, a kind of creativity. And the people I hung out with did tend to be people that were more creative and. Down to clown. So, I don't know. It's a mixed bag, you know.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But as, you know, the things I've already talked about with, like, feeling like I have to be more feminine and, I mean, certainly dress a certain way. But not
2: feminist. (laughs) Not
1: feminist, no. Not too Um, And just, yeah, completely sort of letting (laughs) letting my brain just, like, stay where it is. (laughs) Like, not really feeling the need to get smarter in any way except Mm. Mormonism. Yeah. But, But then saying that, I don't know, I suppose if we did an advertising degree and learned stuff.
0: Yeah, that's actually where I was gonna go next, so I'm glad that you said that. I wondered if going from non-Mormon to Mormon, if you felt the pressure of becoming just a Mormon housewife, if your ambitions kind of stopped and took a turn Mm. in that direction, because there's so much pressure, especially on college women. It's like, wait, you're not married yet? You're still, (laughs) you're in college, you're not married?
1: You know, one woman I just kind of subscribed to this idea that like, yes, I would have kids and a husband and be at home, but I would I would have a job from home. You know, I think as well because we we're doing communication and obviously a lot of comms jobs can be sort of more virtual and you can sort of do your own thing. I guess I just always imagined I'd be writing or do, or doing something from home. So I didn't imagine a reality for myself where I would just like stop having a career because I had children but I think I had not that people don't do this because they do but I had this fantasy in my head where it would just could could kind of be both but I also Mm. was never um you know I thought that you should have kids as a Mormon but I also wasn't you know when I got married in the temple I wasn't thinking oh I need to do that anytime soon I was still very much had, like, the England mindset of, like, do not rush into having kids. Like, don't, yeah. I As yeah. much as we would hear a lot of messages at BYU-Idaho about, like, have kids as soon as you can. and Even if you can't afford them, or take care of them. Yeah, we had a lot of that messaging. But somehow I was able to sort of just, like, hold that cognitive dissonance. Because I just, it, it just felt like a self-evident, more true truth. Like, to, to not rush into having kids, to not have kids if you can't afford them. And I suppose I thought maybe that's fine for other people. I just knew myself well enough and also have never been, um, yeah. I just was so so not raised with like the housewife thing that it just, that wasn't really able to take too deep a root in my brain.
0: That's good. When I didn't realize that you were married, you got married in the temple?
1: Yes, I did. It was actually, I got married in the temple like a month before my faith completely collapsed. Really? <laughs> so Tana was there in the temple with me. We were both going through our faith crisis, but like still like ultimately thought it was probably true.
0: Still oh, were wow. obedient.
1: And then a month later, all came crashing down.
0: Oh no, what was that like? So how old were you at that point? 22. So you're 22, you just got married mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. is collapsing. How? I mean... I'm sure you've talked about this before but i'm just fascinated how that was only a month after being married in the temple what did your husband think yeah
1: well it was all very traumatic and um thankfully i'm very persuasive like i am a good person to argue with (laughs) so my (laughs) husband wasn't able to i think it took me about a week i mean he'd sort so it, it was kind of this uh sort of like tandem faith crisis where Tana had had a faith crisis. And then I was talking to him about that. And then that plunged me into one. And then also my ex-husband and I were talking about things. So it was kind mm-hmm. of, um we were all kind of staggered in where we were at with our faith crises. But then I think I, when Tana left, I think there was only like a week or two where I was like, shit, Tana. Like <laughs> Tana hasn't been able to make, make this work. And he's like the smartest, most faithful person I know. So like, I'm in real trouble. But I was like, I, I just got married. <laughs> I'm just gonna try this. And then I just had this creeping feeling inside like none of this is true and you know it. But I didn't, I didn't really know how to deal with that. And then eventually it just became impossible to ignore. I think my ex-husband just cried a lot for several days. We went and bought him an Xbox to oh, try. And- yeah, I oh forgot. My <laughs> we <laughs> drove like two hours to buy him the new Xbox. Don't know why we thought that would help.
2: Like, sorry about your demolished faith.
1: Sorry, Enjoy your entire this. world just came crashing down. Oh, <laughs> new Xbox, no. though. Yeah, but I, I, mean, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty persuasive, and I'm. By that point, we'd learned a lot. So, and also, my ex-husband had been. I mean, he he wasn't an idiot. He could see the the writing on the wall too. So, I mean, I look back and I it felt so lonely at the time because even though I had Tanner and everyone's always like, oh, you guys are so lucky that you had each other when going through your faith crisis. It still is such a lonely journey, especially yeah. when you're still in the phase where you both still want to make it work. And we each had our different ways that we were trying to still maintain faith. And Tanner got deeper into the Denver snuffer movement than I did. Um, and then... Again, I feel like it was only like a couple of weeks where you were, were like, no, I'm an atheist. And I was like trying to convince myself I wasn't.
2: I remember that over the worst <laughs> pizza I've ever the had. The worst pizza we've ever
1: had, yeah. I remember that vividly. In Logan, can't remember the name, but don't go there. <laughs> um, but it's like, I didn't want to, you know, even in just those couple of weeks, for example, I didn't really want to fully let Tana know. It, it's It takes time to admit things to yourself, you know, so just... But in hindsight, I'm like, I was so lucky to have had Tanner and then also my ex-husband. I mean, the three of us did really navigate it together and we were able to find community. I mean, we're in Logan, so we could go to John DeLynn's support group he was doing at the time. Mm. Um, Yeah. So again, in hindsight, I've had a lot of support throughout all of it. And so it's it's sad to imagine people that don't have that because it was so horrifying and hard, even with that. It didn't... So I can't even imagine like having nobody...
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah. there's so much guilt and you don't want to like affect anybody else's faith Yeah. because you're still holding out for it to be true and you don't want to mess anybody up or give them too much information. There's like a
1: phase where you don't even believe, you you don't believe, you're trying so hard to but you don't and you'll still defend it as if you do believe. That's an interesting phase.
0: And then what happened when your faith came crashing down both of you around the same time. And now you realize that you can create yourself. You can create your reality. You can can create your beliefs, how you dress, the way that you present yourself to the world. How was that building up and uncovering who you have been this whole time?
1: Well, it all started with an attempted margarita purchase at a Chili's, (laughs) which they denied me because I didn't have the right ID. (laughs) But... It also was slow because the, just the depression and the nihilism was so intense. So yeah, it, it came wasn't. Later. And me and Tana were so. We had been the type of people that so wanted it to be true. I think there are people that leave and they're like, oh, I always had a sense that it wasn't true. And I've always wanted to do this, this, and this. Mm. And it, it can be just like so immediately freeing and like exciting. But it, it was, I feel like we had such an intense depression period that. You know, it. it did, I didn't give a shit. You know, I, I was trying coffee and, you know, other stuff, but that stuff was like not exciting enough to combat the nihilism, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it really took time. And then it wasn't until psychedelics, I feel like, that the actual hope returned. And yeah. the healing process really began. Until then, it was just kind of sitting in the grief for a good year, I would say, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's
0: really common because when you realize something that you've held so deeply is a lie, something that is part of yourself, then you almost turn on yourself and say, oh, well, you're a lie too. You don't really know who you are and what is life and is there a God? Who is Jesus? And you have to rebuild everything. I think that's one of the hardest things for non-Mormons or people who haven't experienced high demand religion to understand is there's not just like you and then your faith and then maybe the community of church it's like intermixed it is like a Django puzzle and if you pull on one then everything just comes down you have to rebuild everything from scratch and it's so hard for people to wrap their brains around and the whole you left mormonism but you can't leave it alone well no because it was a huge destructive part of my life unwinding all of these things that i thought were true and i was I was the same way. I was very devout. I was all about it, reading my scriptures every night. If I didn't read my scriptures and I had a bad dream, it was, well, you didn't read your scriptures that night. So (laughs) that's why God gave you you a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. So it was so deep in my subconscious that I think I did the avoidant tactic where when I left, I left when I was um, about 20 and I was in Vegas in the singles ward, which was actually really fun. But I left, it all came tumbling down. And then I actually went to England for a study abroad. And that was like Aww. the perfect thing that could have happened to me because I was just taken out of the environment. And I was—I didn't have to worry mm-hmm. about friends asking me, why are you not at church? And I could just be myself, enjoy the fashion. England has killer fashion. And <sighs> it was fun. Um, So yeah. yeah, I think its it's really hard and not everyone gets that type of... Um, transplant situation where you can really take yourself out of the environment and see things from a different perspective. So I feel really fortunate to have had that. But it is fun to eventually after you've come around to rebuild yourself and figure out what you like, what, what do you actually believe? Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. So I'd love to hear your experience with psychedelics and how that helped you emerge into who you are today and who you are today tell everyone who you are
1: Oof. yeah this could be a three-hour podcast <laughs> on its own it really
0: could
2: well i guess psychedelics because i i really uh i hung up the towel or whatever the expression is through in the towel when i could no longer believe in god and because that was just kind of the last Thing. It was like, maybe the church, maybe there's some way. And then when finally it was like, there's this God that I've been praying to and trying to live up to and trying to get in contact with just is not real. Mm. And then that was kind of like, okay, I can just I can just be done with all of this. And in a way, it was kind of kind of like humiliating. <laughs> like just like I felt feeling like the first night that I just stopped praying and was like, this is it's there's nothing going on here and then feeling kind of like ashamed or something like, you know, just realizing you've been bamboozled for your whole life yeah, is huge. And then with psychedelics, I'm trying to remember the first experiences.
1: Wasn't your first experience that time we were in the woods and yeah. I told you I didn't want to have any kind of deep thing. I just wanted it to be fun and silly and you were <laughs> like, no, I want it to be a deep experience.
2: <laughs> yeah, that might've been the first, or it was doing mushrooms up at a cabin. No, that, place. I,
1: that was after.
2: Yeah, because I was trying to have a serious experience that would kick my life back into gear and Samantha didn't. That came <laughs> a little later. Like I'm
1: not looking to do any delving into myself. Yeah. I'm just here for the fun. And <laughs> my entire existence has become delving into myself.
2: And then, you know, I'm trying to get into it. And next thing I know, I have this British person telling me, you can't just lay on the table blaring Bob Marley in the middle of a park. People are going to know you're on drugs. (laughs) That's true. This is a in Utah. So great. Uh, But yeah, once once I started diving into that space a bit more, um, you know, I had been so depressed of like, oh, there's no God, there's no meaning to life. And it really just took that and like somehow made it positive of like, whoa, there's no God and there's no meaning to life. And yet somehow like everything felt so connected. So rather than experiencing the universe as this cold, vast nothingness, it was like, oh, it's this like singular organism of which I'm a part and which everybody else is a part. And we're all part of this thing that's happening. And my fullest expression and experience in that is like, just being who I am and following my joy and living life more creatively and more openly and lovingly and, and doing things that I actually want to do. So yeah, so it just gave me, it felt like it linked all the dots. And in a lot of ways was like the spiritual experience I had been looking for in the church, Mm -hmm. just that sense of transcendence that was also just like immersion. It didn't take me out of the world and be like, oh, this world is so profane and illusory. It was like, whoa, this world is so special and the experience of being alive is so unique and consciousness. What? This is so yeah. crazy. I can't believe I could have experienced it in the you know gazillion years that have taken since the Big Bang to the uh, stars forming and planets orbiting around them for life to spring up and slowly over a gazillion years evolve <laughs> to the point where I can now like eat a sandwich. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, like, I'm so grateful for this experience just to just to witness it. And so it definitely like turned the lights on for me as a person, that's kind of a phrase from the sixties of like LSD turning people on. And I, I really yeah. did feel like it turned me on as a person that I wasn't really alive before, that I wasn't really conscious. I was kind of in an automaton just doing the yeah. things that I had been programmed to do and not just living as a yeah, fully conscious and alive being
1: and so like limited in the options you even see as being available to you that you don't realize like I mean things aren't limitless per se but there there just are so many so many avenues you can go down but yeah it does feel like before psychedelics I was just um like on autopilot and you know you'd feel tension at points because it's like you only feel able to act in one way but then the way that you act is not fulfilling or it doesn't you know uh like the mormon fairy tale with like you know marriage and babies and being a stay-at-home mom i think so many women are sold a fairy tale about that and then find that it doesn't it isn't everything they've been taught it was but that doesn't mean they have any like idea of what else they you know you're still you're still in it you know so there's um Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. we have been talking for a while. But yeah, it's almost like free will start, even though I don't believe in free will, it's like it starts opening up when you can start seeing more possibilities for yourself. And even just being to examine your conditioning, let alone like think about what's possible beyond it, is Yeah. Completely. I, I totally understand the metaphor of like feeling not alive before Mm -hmm. it's like it's like you're alive but you are operating at a lower level of consciousness it it just
0: brings you back to like the bite model right Behavioral control information control uh thought control emotional control and when you are in i guess you could just call it a cult when you're in a cult and all of those things are happening you are as you said unable to see the other options around you because you are literally in a bubble and i think it's So beautiful, Tanner, I watched your very first video, your poem that went viral, which I will link it here, to see how you have grown since then. And you were just like two totally separate people looking at the the person in the (laughs) poem who was like lovely and beautiful and so heartfelt and so great. And looking at who you are now, just this like wild eccentric into fashion, like (laughs) music. Yeah, yeah, like it's so much more colorful and fun and beautiful. And so I just wanted to talk about how you both have just blossomed into who you are and exploring sexuality and exploring different topics that were unavailable or completely off limits when you were Mormon and just how you feel now.
2: Well, it definitely feels much more I mean, you know, I still experience depression, anxiety like I did in the church, but I feel like my tools with dealing with them are so much more fit for the job Mm -hmm. um, because I don't have to fit everything into this bunk paradigm of like, oh, I have to analyze Mm -hmm. this nightmare because maybe it was Satan or maybe it was this and, you know, all these like fake imaginary things that I'm, you know, using to scrutinize everything going on in my life. Whereas now I can just exist in a way that feels good and wholesome and balanced for me. And so, yeah, I I still have those things and that's just part of the human condition is having ups and downs. And, um, but overall I feel so much better outside of the church. Um, I was just, I, I felt like there was this big like rope that had just been tied into this really tight knot existing in my stomach that I didn't even know was there until I left the church and was like I feel relaxed for the first time in my life I I didn't even realize it was just holding that tension in my body wow and then like you said being able to just feel free to to explore and express and not having to again filter everything through what is this Uh, a multi-billion dollar real estate firm posing as a church have to say about (laughs) what I'm painting or listening to. Everything just feels more real, like, rather than, you know, memorizing filtered facts about biblical history that somehow have pertinence today and kind of having these like flimsy gray models of reality that I'm always trying to avoid poking too hard at, Mm -hmm. you know, now I can study philosophy and, uh, about what it means like how we know what we know and what uh, the real questions that are being asked actually are and how people are grappling with those things in meaningful ways and not just a way of like enforcing their this religious identity. And then with art, I'd say more than anything is like taken that, spiritual place for me where it's become about synthesizing the things that I'm learning and feeling and experiencing and creating that into something beautiful. And it's both a way of like dealing with stress and uh, angst that flows through me and that can be channeled into a healthy thing also with like exercise and other stuff. And then creating something beautiful and meaningful out of that um, versus, I mean, when I was a Mormon, practically, practically all i did was just like religious stuff um it's funny i Kweku did that video where he's he he was like yeah you know they they are talented but uh you know people are more talented and do better stuff when they're in the church because god blesses them and i was like <laughs> look at anything we did yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at our our the volume of our work now versus then and it's like not even comfortable. we're not, not saying it's good at any
1: point but you have to agree <laughs> if you go back in time it's not better <laughs> yeah um, psychedelics is such a big topic that we could seriously talk about for hours. We, we should probably do a video on it this week. Mm-hmm. We've been meaning to do like a, a video on our channel, just going into depth because we never really have only on our Patreon.
0: We should do uh, another video on psychedelics together. I would love to bring you back and do another one. Um, I'm incorporating yeah, psychedelics more into my channel. I actually just interviewed someone who does psychedelic therapy and she brought the clinical approach, and it was really enlightening. So, I'm excited to drop that episode as well. But yeah, yeah cool. psychedelics they're oh, man, they will just open up your heart, mind, soul, physical, mental, spiritual, everything world and just show you what life's all about, which is amazing. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, I think you kind of mentioned this, but it, it feels like so much of Mormonism is trying to transcend the human condition and looking on the world with disdain and being you know or the idea that people would um find their spirituality in nature or something is looked down upon as you know a, a lesser version of spirituality but I feel like kind of spirituality to me now is about embodiment and it's so easy to um to sort of you know take that approach of trying to transcend the human condition even though you obviously can't and then to look down on everything beneath you. But it but it's taking you out of the human experience so much that you don't even know what you're comparing like <laughs> yourself to. You think you know, but it's like my uh, life is so, life can be so rich. And like uh, your, our connection to the natural world can be so rich and just so many things. I mean, and part of it is also just growing up. I think re- you realize this too, but. There's so much richness to be found in life. And if you just live your entire life through mental constructs and through, you know, superiority complexes and through conditioned responses and through adhering to the things you've always been taught are the one way, instead of doing any like significant unlearning, then you just, you're never even getting the full human experience because so much of your life is geared towards almost trying to lift you out of it, but then you're never really getting anywhere worth being except for just in in a high control group, if it's Mormonism, you know?
2: For someone hawking real estate in the sky. Yeah, yeah, you're just
1: enriching an organization that is already a multi-billion dollar organization doing a lot of bad in the world, for what? Yes. Amen, that was so well said. The illusion of safety and this pseudo form of healing that just it's it's not healing it's it it really feels like smoking where they sell you the problem and they sell you the solution and like you don't crave nicotine if you've never had nicotine and sorry if i'm offending any smokers (laughs) i love and respect all smokers but um yeah no i love that
0: and with all of that passion and feistiness and just gusto let's get into our linda listen moment so something sassy that you want to say to anyone who's pissed you off or Mm. an inspirational bit of advice for our listeners (sighs)
1: um this is just it's I don't know how inspirational this is but the only (laughs) thing that comes to my mind that just time and time again is shown to me as the most important thing you can do to improve your life is do not neglect stillness do not neglect making time to just be completely still Mm. completely bored no inputs you know, whether that's formal meditation or not, it doesn't have to be, but don't underestimate the power of of staring at a painting for three hours or just stuff that, uh, you know, allows you to see more deeply because I feel like in our society we're, you know, we used to constant overstimulation. And so we're so quick to categorize things because we're always on to the next thing. And we like, we miss so much of, for example, like the beauty and richness of nature, because we're, we're like spending our life glancing rather than ever looking yeah. deeply. And I just really feel like the best thing most of us can do is make sure we prioritize time to just be completely still. And I know Beautiful. that's not very sexy. Linda listens, but that's what I have to Linda,
2: listen, honey, you gotta be still.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yes>. uh, <laughs> Taylor, do you have one?
2: Oh, uh, can I just say amen to that one? <laughs> I think that's great. Linda, <laughs>
0: listen what she said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for your time, you guys. You've been amazing. How can people find you and support you? What are you up to? List all your handles.
1: YouTube, Zelf on the Shelf. Uh, that's our main platform. We're also on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Also, Patreon is a really big thing for us. We do bonus content there, and that's the primary way we support being able to do any of this.
2: That's a lot of fun over there. That's our
1: plug for
0: that. well i've loved this conversation we definitely have to come back and talk about psychedelics because yeah, yeah that is another three-hour conversation
2: <laughs> thanks for having us on it's been so fun
0: so if anyone watching or listening wants to support i also have a patreon um, patreon.com slash cults to consciousness thank you for your support it means the world thank you so much for watching and until next time follow your highest excitement be conscious and be well yay cute thanks for listening If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Consciousness or reach out by email at Consciousness at gmail.com.